Good morning, dear Sangha. Today is the 15th of October, 2013, and we are in the Deer Park Monastery in the Ocean of Peace Meditation Hall on our fifth day of the retreat with the team Finding Our True Home. <clears throat> Today we have a session of questions and answers. And uh, we know that a good uh, question can profit many people. That is why we should only ask the question of the heart. A question that has to do with our suffering, our happiness, our practice, our difficulties. This retreat is not a course on Buddhist, on Buddhist studies. It is a retreat. And we are here to practice in order to heal and to transform. We are not here to, 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 to learn about Buddhism, Buddhist studies. And uh, those of us who have a question are invited to come here and sit uh, close to Thay and take our turn to sit on that chair so that everyone can see him or her before asking the question. In the tradition, before you ask the question, you listen to the bell and you breathe in now three times with the whole Sangha. And uh, a good question does not have to be very long. <laughs> From time to time, uh, there will be a question, a written question, that will be read by Sister Dedication here. If you don't want to come, you can write down your question and ask someone to bring it to Sister Dedication, who is uh, on Thai's left. Please come up here and sit around Thai. It's very beautiful from here. <laughs> the Sangha is beautiful. Shall we the teenagers? Teenagers are welcome to ask uh, their questions first. This is the first question. Your Thai, your Sangha. Um, so I just wanted to give some background before I ask, answer my, uh, ask my question. Uh, my father passed away a couple of years ago. Oh, yes. My father passed away uh, about two and a half years ago now. 
and uh, it was due to prostate cancer, which metastasized into his bones. And um, he suffered a lot because of that, from the pain in his body and uh, mentally, mental unclarity. Um, so it was very hard for me to communicate with him uh, in his like later days. Um, and it was very peaceful for me to let him go, but now I see that uh, it gets harder and harder for me to try to connect with his energy, and like harder for me to feel grief and um, you know feel emotion towards that. And uh, so I guess my question is, uh, how can I practice to have a connection with him, uh, even though he's passed in this life? And um, I also have a side question if you have a minute to answer. I'm, I'm, I'm seriously considering uh, ordaining as a monk. So um, I was wondering uh, what is the cause of one to do that in a greater sense and uh, if you can just a little bit expand on what that process is. Thank you. Dear Thai, dear Sangha, a mm. young friend shared that his father passed away two years ago from a cancer, and towards the end it was a very painful. Our, our friend, please could we turn up the microphone? Thank you. Dear Thai, dear Sangha, our friend shared that his father passed away two years ago from a cancer and towards the end of his illness, that was a very painful time for his father. And um, at the time of his father's passing, he felt a certain peace. Um, but as time goes on, he is having, um, facing challenges to connect with his father's energy um, in himself. and. He would like to know how to, to really open his heart to, to be in touch with that grief and the emotion that is still there and how to connect to his father's energy within himself. The second part of his question is about uh, how he can ordain as a monk. He's interested to ordain as a monk. How could he do that? Our father is uh, not only outside of us, but he is inside of us. He always uh, continues in us. He is still available. Uh, in every cell of our body, we have our father, our mother, and our ancestors. So it is possible for us to converse, to, to, to talk to our father now and here. And I do that all the time. I share with him uh, my practice. And I feel that my father is always alive with me. And as I make uh, progress on the path of practice, my father does at the same time. 
and very often uh, I invited him to walk with me and breathe with me. So we yeah, are in harmony. And what he could not do during his lifetime, I tried to do it for him. Mm. Now there is more peace, happiness, and joy, and uh, freedom. Uh, the happiness and the suffering of our Father are still in us. Our suffering carries within itself the suffering of our Father. So if we uh, embrace the suffering in us tenderly and listen to it, and then we are embracing the pain of our Father and listen to the suffering of our Father, and communication is always possible because of our father and son, father and daughter, always into our. You cannot be there without your father. Your father cannot be there without you. So you are the continuation of your father. You are your father. And uh, we know that the pain, the suffering, can be useful. It helps us to recognize the peace, the happiness that may be available here and now. Against the background of suffering, happiness and peace stand out very clearly. That is why suffering is helpful. And we can talk about the goodness of suffering. So if father has suffered, son has suffered, and that is good also, because we have so much in order to grow lotus flowers. Because uh, no happiness can, can be without suffering. The Buddha experiences happiness, but he knows how to suffer. And uh, to practice as a monk is the easiest, easiest way, uh, according to our experiences. To practice as a lay person is more difficult. And uh, to be a monk, practicing among other monks uh, is so easy. <laughs> and. Uh, if you inquire about that, you will know that uh, what to do in order to be accepted as an aspirant, and how long it would take to become a, to, to be ordained as a novice, and how long, uh, uh, how much effort you should make in order to be uh, ordained as a bhikkhu, fully ordained monk, and as a monastic, we can. We have a lot of chance to serve people. And serving people, helping them to suffer less, bring us, brings us a lot of joy. You know that uh, we are in shortage of monks and nuns. In Europe, Europe uh, every country in Europe wants to have one retreat a year. And uh, the number of monks and nuns Dharma teachers are very limited. We cannot afford to offer every country in Europe one retreat per year. There's only a few countries 
uh, who got uh, that uh, got uh, a daily uh, retreat, uh, a yearly retreat, that is France and <laughs> Germany and uh, the Netherlands, Italy, yeah, Italy and other countries every two years. And there are many countries in Asia and North America. And that's why if you don't have anything exciting to do outside, <laughs> join us. And uh, uh, as soon as you become a monastic, you can begin to serve already by the way of walking, breathing, smiling. You can already help people because you are you train as a monk in order to do that, to live in peace, enjoy, and to express peace and joy with every step, with every breath. And you don't have to graduate in order to serve. You continue to study Buddhism and uh, train uh, in, the, in the practice. And every year you have uh, a winter retreat, 90 days to deepen your practice. You continue to learn uh, every day. And you have the chance to uh, to help your elder brothers and sisters uh, in the monastic community to organize days of mindfulness, uh, retreats on mindfulness, and you can learn a lot from your big brothers and sisters in doing so, and you become a teacher. Uh, we have uh, recently uh, opened another door, a five-year program of monastic training and service. If you are 35 or younger, you can sign up for that program and become monastic for five years. Three years as a novice and two years as fully ordained monk. And if you like it, you continue for all your life. Uh, and you can also return to lay life and uh, uh, continue to uh, practice. And one or two years after, you, you, you can become a lay Dharma teacher and uh, uh, work together with uh, uh, monastic uh, Dharma teachers. We need uh, thousands of monastics more in order to offer retreats uh, and days of mindfulness uh, to many countries. Um, Young people from Asian countries becoming monastic, they have to learn English. Because uh, if you become a, a Dhamma teacher, you should be able to, to, to conduct a retreat everywhere in the world. But here you don't have to learn English. <laughs> so it's a very advent, big advantage. <laughs> so please, those of you who, uh, who, who, uh, who think that uh, Monastic life can bring you a lot of joy and happiness. Uh, you lead a very meaningful uh, life. Please uh, reflect on it. On it.
Second question. Um, for the past few years, um, I've been obsessed with um, video games for and playing for eight hours a day. And I need um, suggestions to um, stop the um, obsession of playing video games. Dear Thai, dear Sangha, a young friend just shared that he, um, for the last few years, he has been playing a lot of computer games. Um, a, about eight hours every day, he plays computer games, and it's become an obsession. And he would like any help or any ideas how he can stop this obsession with playing computer games. Mm. Young people, they may already have a lot of suffering in themselves. And their parents do not know how to help uh, the, their children to suffer less, to transform the suffering in, in them. That is why both uh, parents and uh, children try to, uh, to cover up the suffering inside by entertainment. Music, books, films, electronic games, and so on. So this is uh, really not uh, enjoyment, just uh, trying to run away from the suffering inside. And uh, as uh, the time passes, the suffering inside continues to grow, because the item that we that we uh, we uh, consume in order to forget about our suffering can uh, bring more toxins, poisons, uh, anger, uh, distress uh, to us. So this is not uh, living. That is uh, it's, uh, running away from life. What, uh, what uh, the West call the kingdom of God. In Buddhism, we call uh, the Dharma body. 
the Buddha has the Buddha body, but also has his Dharma body. And when the body, uh, the physical body of the Buddha is no longer there, his Dharma body continues to give Dharma talks. And when you listen, when you contemplate a flower, or when you listen to the wind in the willow, with mindfulness and concentration, you hear the Dharma talk given by the, the Dharma body of the Buddha. So the Buddha is always alive, giving Dharma talks. And uh, if you contemplate the moon, uh, the cloud, the blue sky, the river, the rising tide, and then everything is uh, teaching the Dharma. So the Dharma body is um, equivalent to the kingdom of God. And we know that the kingdom of God is there. Every flower, every tree belong to the kingdom of God. It speaks to you, they speak to you about the kingdom of God that are here and now. So if you, you know how to go home to the here and the now, you have the kingdom of God with you that will nourish you, make you happy. You don't have to run away and take refuge in electronic games. When you breathe in mindfully, you bring your mind home to your body. And when mind and body are together, you are truly alive. If you get lost in your uh, computer, your body and your mind are separated. You are not truly alive. And you are wasting your life. You are, you don't profit from your life. Nature has given us a life. And every minute, every second is a jewel. And if we can stay in the here and the now, we can enjoy the kingdom of God in the here and the now. And that, that is the best kind of um, enjoyment. Uh, there is, a, there is a, an example, there is a story, uh, an image uh, in the gospel, a peasant, a farmer discover a piece of land with a treasure in it. So he went home and sell everything in order to buy that small piece of land because it has a treasure in it. And that treasure can make him happy all his life and next lives also. So if you have the treasure, the kingdom of God, you don't need other things, including uh, money, uh, fame, uh, power, uh, sensual pleasures, and electronic games. And that is why, that is why uh, parents should practice in order to be able to enjoy the kingdom of God in the here and the now. In that way, they can teach their children to do the same. And uh, they would not uh, run away and take refuge in electronic games and got addicted to it anymore. Because if you continue, your body will have a lot of uh, problems and your mind will have a lot of problems also. And that has proved to be exact. If you spend too much time with uh, your computer, your electronic games, you are addicted to new technology, and then you don't have any time left to enjoy the wonders of life, the kingdom of God that is available in the here and the now. This is not only an answer to a young person, but to all of us, especially parents and teachers.
Thank you for asking the question. protective over people that I'm close to, like family and friends. And I know that we're supposed to be compassionate to all people, but I have a harder time forgiving somebody that was, that's harmful to one of them instead of to me or to myself. And uh, I was wondering if you had any recommendations on how to deal with that. Dear Thai, dear Sangha, our friend said that he feels very protective very protective towards those he loves, his family and his friends. And when someone else does something that harms his family or his friends, he has a hard time practicing compassion, feeling compassionate towards that person. He would like some guidance on how he could be more compassionate in those situations. Hmm. In fact, compassion is a kind of um, protection and the most uh, effective uh, protection that you, you have. If you do not have uh, compassion, you allow fear, anger to express, and that draw danger to you, that make them uh, uh, afraid of you, and they will attack you, because they are also afraid. Uh, and that is why uh, with compassion, with understanding, because understanding is possible. When you look at the uh, aggressive people, you see that they suffer. They have violence in them, they have anger in them. They don't have uh, much joy and compassion, that is why they suffer. And when they suffer, they make other people around them suffer. And when we have the time to look at them, we will understand. And uh, naturally, compassion will arise in us. We are not afraid of them anymore. We do not hate them anymore. In fact, we want to do something, how to say something in order to help them suffer less. Uh, and if we know how to, how to generate compassion and joy, we can find skillful means in order to help them to do the same. And if they are joyful and compassionate, uh, they, they will become harmless. And that is the, the best way to protect uh, ourselves. So generate compassion in our own self and help generate compassion in the other person is the best way to protect ourselves, to be in true security.
So I often have a high volition to want to spread happiness and also to see the beauty in the world. But sometimes I, when I see things without dualities and I realize that happiness and suffering inter are and beauty and ugliness inter are, I lack the purpose or volition for goodness or beauty because it seems meaningless. If all things are one another, what is the purpose? How can we have purpose to do good and to create happiness if happiness is interbeing with suffering and beauty is interbeing with ugliness? When I was uh, a young monk, reading the sutras, I learned that uh, the Buddha also practice, practices uh, sitting meditation and walking meditation, mindful breathing and so on. And I asked myself, why? You have already become a Buddha and you need to practice more. <laughs> and that became, uh, has become a kind of object for my meditation. That question is linked to another question. Uh, whether the Buddhas still suffer as a human being. Because the Buddha is not a god. The Buddha is an enlightened being who has a lot of compassion and uh, insight. And also, the other question is, uh, if having become a Buddha, you, you continue to suffer, and what is the use of becoming a Buddha? <laughs> and uh, I tried to meditate and I, I found, I have found uh, the answers by myself. That life, uh, life, uh, reality, uh, can we describe it in terms of interbeing? Uh, if there is no right, there is no left. There is, if there is no subject, there is no object, and so on. The notion of interbeing, good and evil, and reality transcends all these uh, notions. But uh, speaking uh, from the conventional uh, uh, truth, because there are two kinds of truth, conventional truth and uh, ultimate truth. We, we still have to use the word, uh, the notions of uh, birth and death, uh, being and non-being, uh, happiness and suffering and so on. So if we touch the 
ultimate uh, truth, and we can transcend all these notions. Uh, we, we, and uh, we will be at peace. But still, in the in the realm of conventional truth, uh, that truth can be applied also. It's like a classical science represented by Newton, still applicable. Um, because uh, happiness cannot be by itself alone. That is why suffering has to be there in order to to play the role of a non-happiness element. Uh, a lotus is made of non-lotus elements, including the mud. So without the mud, there is no lotus. There is no suffering. There is no uh, happiness without suffering. Because happiness is made of non-happiness elements. And among these non-happiness elements, there is uh, the element of, uh, of mud. So mud is very essential. It is by making good use of the mud that you can have lotus. It is by making good use of ugliness that you have beauty. By good, um, by, it is by making good use of uh, suffering that you have happiness. So for, for a person like uh, the a Buddha, uh, with, who has a lot of uh, of uh, understanding and compassion. If he has to suffer, he suffers much, much less. And that is the advantage of being a Buddha. If you have to suffer, you suffer much less because you know how to suffer. You have so much wisdom. Uh, and then you can make good use of the suffering in order to create understanding and compassion. And that is... Uh, Mm, the answer to my first question, uh, whether a Buddha uh, still suffers after having become a Buddha or not. As for the other question, is that everything is uh, impermanent, including happiness. If everything is impermanent, and then love and happiness are also impermanent. And that is why the Buddha, having love and happiness, has to continue to nourish love and happiness. That is why he continued to do walking meditation, sitting meditation, mindful breathing. So it's very comfortable to know that everything is uh, impermanent, uh, that uh, uh, everything interes with everything else. And you see a perfect... Uh, um, uh, coordination between the relative uh, conventional truth and uh, ultimate truth.
Dear Tai, my question is, um, since I was younger, growing up, I felt like I was always being compared to someone who was better than myself. And I've experienced that since I was little um, up until now as well. And um, my question, and it causes me to feel like I need to seek affirmations in my own decisions on someone else's opinion, whether what I did is um, a good decision or a bad decision. And I feel when someone speaks good of me or compliments me, I feel very happy about it. But when someone speaks negatively of me, I feel like I'm not good enough. And it makes me feel like um, I'm always second or I'm always a shadow of something that I cannot um, attain. So I feel sometimes I lose ground of my own self. And my question is how do I become more stable so that I don't need to seek affirmations in, outside of myself? Dear Thai, dear Sangha, um, our friend's question um, is about uh, how to be solid in herself when she makes uh, decisions. She may look for um, compliments or approval from others for those decisions or actions that she's taken. Um, and when she is praised, then she feels good about herself, but if there is some criticism, then she feels that she's not good enough, that she's just second best, that she's falls short, that she has a shadow of what she could be. And uh, so her question is how she can um, be more solid in those situations and, and practice um, with that. The practice uh, of mindfulness can help you uh, to have uh, faith in yourself. Uh, if we look uh, deeply at things, we have our own way of understanding. And uh, in our daily life, uh, that kind of insight that we get concerning people and things uh, is confirmed by, by, uh, by your life, your daily experiences. And you believe uh, in your insight. And uh, if you really believe uh, in your insight, and then you have a confidence in yourself. Practice, for instance, if you practice mindful breathing well enough and find it um, helpful, you get the joy, the happiness, uh, the peace while practicing. 
And then you believe in it. You believe in the effectiveness of the practice. And even if 1,000 people say, tell you that uh, it's useless, it doesn't make sense to practice mindful breathing, you still smile. Because you know by your own experience that mindful breathing helps you to be fresh, to be peaceful, to be happy. So the opinions of other people cannot make you uh, abandon your conviction, your belief, you see. And if, uh, if you know that uh, the notion of beauty differs with every person, something can be very beautiful to someone, but not beautiful to any uh, to other people. So their notions of beauty, uh, beauty uh, or ugliness, uh, are their notion and you are not affected by their, by their opinions. Uh, you are a flower in the garden of humanity. You are not something less than a flower in the garden of humanity. You belong to the kingdom of God like uh, any other uh, wonders of life. And if you have that insight uh, that you know if, uh, if you know that you have uh, the seed of uh, compassion, of joy, of, uh, of happiness in you, uh, and then you know that uh, you know that um, that you have a value. That uh, uh, and if you believe in the existence of that these qualities. Uh, transmitted by your parents, your ancestors, uh, and you are a continuation of uh, of them. And then uh, the opinions people will have on you will have no effect. You still continue. During the war in Vietnam, I work uh, for peace. Uh, my community did not take uh, take side in the war. We wanted recon- reconciliation. We don't want the North and the South fighting and killing each other. And we believe that to be the truth, the best, uh, the most beautiful, um, most beautiful path to go, the path of compassion. But uh, people in the warring parties look upon us with suspicion, and they think that we are stupid. If you take one side with one warring party, uh, you are at least protected by that warring party. If you don't take side of any warring party, you are exposed to being attacked by both warring parties. But if you believe that your path is the path of compassion, the path of uh, humanity, and then you continue. And uh, millions of people believe that we are communists, we were communists. And they are afraid of communism, they want to kill communists. We put ourselves in danger. And other people thought that we are pro-American. 
and many people, many millions of people misunderstood us. And yet we still continue with our path because we have belief in, in, our, in our values. I think if you continue to practice uh, like that, you be solid as a mountain and you will not be um, assaulted by any kind of opinions. Good luck. <laughs> Dear Thai and dear Sangha, um, my name is Margit. I live in the southern end of Escondido and have been coming here since 2005. My Dharma name is Healing Commitment of the Heart, and I really love that. Um, I have perhaps a curious problem, or at least that was my judgment of it. Um, I was and have been, well, that doesn't quite work. Um, I was depressed for years um, since a young child. And in the last couple of months, the depression has lifted, which is really wonderful. And I think it's lifted because of what I have learned here. Uh, I'm sure of that. Um, my problem is that I run out of steam. There's so much I would like to do. Uh, I have so many ideas and I wear myself out. Um, I, I worry a bit about that. I know I need to take good care of myself and I do the best I can there. I, cook and eat good food, I garden, I take naps, um, I treasure my friends and my beloveds. Um, but I have this, I, I have this uh, tendency to overfunction, to overdo. And, uh, and then my husband sometimes thinks I'm going crazy because I have so much energy and so much that I want to do, so many ideas, so many plans. Thank you. Dear Thai, dear Sangha, our friend is one of our neighbors here in southern Escondido. She has been experiencing depression since she was a young child, but remarkably in the last two months this has lifted and she finds herself with a lot of energy and ideas. And her question is actually that 
she feels and finds that perhaps she has too much energy and um, she is afraid that she will burn herself out because she has um, so much steam and um, she is nourishing herself with gardening, with cooking good food, with uh, taking rest and taking care of her relationships. Um, but her husband is worried that um, might she be going crazy with this positive energy that she has at this time and she would like Thai's guidance on how, how to handle this uh, new situation in her life. Perhaps you know the meaning of my name, Nhat Han. It means only one thing to do. Let's <laughs> do one thing that you like the best. Uh, and you should enjoy doing that. While, uh, whether gardening, uh, taking a nap, or cooking a dish, you have to put all your mind and body into it and enjoy it. And that will, uh, uh, pro that will um, uh, help you to maintain health. You, have, you don't have to worry about that. But if you want to do many things at the same time, you cannot enjoy. I, I, uh, uh, anything at the same time. Just focus your attention on one one thing, one object. When you walk, do not think, just enjoy walking. That is what I do. When you sit, just enjoy sitting. When you wash the dishes, enjoy washing dishes. It's wonderful to be alive, to be standing there and washing the dishes. The water that you use to wash dishes has come from far away. It's a miracle. And every moment of your daily life can be a happy, wonderful moment. In that way, the depression will cannot come back. If you know how to live in such a way, every minute is to enjoy. And how can you enjoy many things at the same time? It's impossible. Suppose you are eating and watching television at the same time. You are not concentrated on either the food or the television. So the pleasure cannot be real. So concentration, mindfulness, concentration brings a lot of pleasure and happiness. Please remember. Dear Ty, um, my name is Bob, and I live in Los Angeles, and I'd like to talk to you about the nutrients you spoke of, in particular uh, a, a nutrient that I thought you left out, and that was air. 
as a nutrient. Um, in your travels that you've done throughout the world, perhaps you've looked at the skies and may have seen spraying that has been coming from high altitude aircraft. White lines that are crisscrossing even over cities. They are over Los Angeles. Los Angeles. These chemtrails spread, they become artificial clouds. There's an overcast that happens in Los Angeles and we're lacking, we're getting less sunshine than we normally have had. What disturbs me is that there's been independent scientists with integrity that have taken samples of these spraying, of these residue, and they have found aluminum, barium, and these are toxins, toxins to our health. And if we are consuming this air, uh, this is very, very dangerous. My personal concern is I have two fears. One is I'm very frightened by it because it means that my health is threatened, my loved one's health is threatened if we're ingesting this kind of toxin air. And also I'm, I'm angry. I'm angry that nothing is being done. The media says nothing. Politicians, senators are saying nothing about it or they're denying that there is something is going on with our skies. And I have to cope with these two fears and or two feelings in me daily. I'm involved with a, a group in Los Angeles to try to change it, but we're getting nowhere because there's mostly silence. And I'm asking you, how, what can I do as an activist in this area to cope with these feelings of anger and fear that I carry? Anger and despair are two kinds of pollution. Pollution. I wish it was only that. The internal pollution, if you have uh, hate, anger, and fear and despair, uh, there is pollution inside, and that will not help uh, to, uh, to reduce the pollution outside. Uh, people have uh, the idea of happiness and they believe that without a lot of money, power, they cannot be really happy. And uh, people believe that uh, Happiness is the capacity of consuming. When you have a lot of money, you consume a lot, and you are happy. So these notions of happiness are very dangerous because uh, we are destroying ourselves and the world by that kind of, um, of uh, notion, idea about happiness. So the education system, there's something wrong in it. And we don't, do not teach ourselves and our children how, how to experience the true happiness. So if you, if you, if, uh, 
if uh, if you want to be a true um, activist, and then first of all you have to live your life in such a way that can set an example to the people around. Uh, your life become your message. And with that kind of uh, life example, you can influence other people around you. And if you uh, write a letter or protest, if you go and speaking with uh, anger or with fear, uh, that will not help uh, your cause. That is why uh, look deeply and see, see the people uh, who are victims of their notions of happiness, their wrong views about uh, happiness, their way of life that destroy themselves and the ecosystem. Uh, you see that uh, they are object of your compassion. You, do, you are not angry at them anymore, and you try to help them. And uh, to write uh, an angry letter of protest is not effective as to write a love letter. Because when you are able to write a love letter, you touch the best thing in the politician, in the leader, and you may wake them up, and they may change their course, the idea of happiness. So we need, uh, we need uh, a community, a sangha, in order to be able to do something. Alone, even if you are uh, very ta a very talented person, you cannot do much. Even a Buddha without a Sangha cannot do much. So as an activist, if you want to change the world, you need a Sangha. You need people who have the same kind of insight, the same kind of purpose, the same kind of motivation, the same capacity to live a life that uh, that can that can be an example for 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 the world, and then with such a sangha, you'll be able to do something uh, to change. Otherwise, um, we cannot uh, we, we cannot uh, we cannot find a way out of this situation. And that is why, for me, uh, to practice uh, mindful living, to build a sangha, so that you have. Uh, a collective energy supporting you, and then you have uh, uh, a means in order to promote uh, uh, your insight uh, and offer people uh, the way out and save uh, the planet and uh, our own species. Okay.
dear Sangha, um, if I set a cause into motion in this life, but the conditions are not right for the effects until the next life, who reaps the effects if there's no self? This is uh, the object of uh, tomorrow's Dhamma talk. The question is whether the actor and the receiver of the fruit of action are the same person or another person. Because things are impermanent, the person who, who, who produces a good action today and the person a few years later that, uh, that uh, that harvest the, the fruit of the action, are they the same person? Or are they two different persons? And that is the teaching of the middle way. It's very deep. Uh, no self. Does not mean you are not there. When we look into our own uh, body, we see there is a community of cells. And the cells in the body working together in harmony. And you don't see uh, any cell that pre pre pretend to be the president, the leader <laughs> of all the cells. And uh, a biologist can experience the truth of no-self in just looking into the body. And neuroscientists, they have said that uh, the neurons in our brain, they work together, they operate like an opera, there is no conductor at all, there's no self. There is a feeling, but no feeler. There is a thought, but there is no thinker. Suppose uh, you say uh, uh, the wind blows, blowing is the, uh, the action and the wind is uh, the subject. Suppose the wind does not blow, it's not the wind at all, like the rain falls. If the rain does not fall, it's not the rain at all. So the raining, the rain is the real thing. There is no rainer. There is no rainer outside of the rain. There is no blower outside of the wind. And that is uh, something quite scientific. So, uh, so this is a deep experience. There is no separate self. Uh, people can not be, 
people can only interbe with each other. And that is the meaning of no self. No self does not mean that there is no action. And there is no uh, 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 fruit of the action. And the chain of, of, uh, of uh, cause and effect continue always. And you don't need, you don't need uh, a self in order for, for the chain of causation to be uh, possible. This is a subject of meditation. Dear Thai, dear Sangha, my name is Julie. I'm from here in San Diego. Two years ago, I received the five mindfulness trainings, and since then, I've been studying for the 14 informally. The one thing that's been holding me back is because I feel um, is because I have suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD, and um, over the past few years, this practice has brought me a lot of peace and helped me live in the present moment. The one thing holding me back from taking the 14 mindfulness training is I feel like I need to get you know, completely past it. And one of the things I'm still struggling with is nightmares. Even here at beautiful Deer Park, <laughs> I have uh, nightmares and fear in the evening. So I, my question is, is there a practice or something I can do to help with staying mindful even when waking up from nightmares so that I can continue to experience peace? Every, every time you wake up from a nightmare, you feel so happy. And that happiness cannot be without nightmare. <laughs> and if uh, we know how to cherish every moment of our daily life, uh, not only we enjoy uh, our, uh, our daily life when we are awake, but we would indirectly reduce the amount of nightmare during the night. Because uh, I myself have nightmare from time to time. Because uh, our our consciousness uh, carries within itself the collective consciousness of society. I have uh, my generation ha- has gone through two wars one with the French and one with the Americans. And there's a lot of death, destruction, 
uh, despair. And with the practice, you can reduce slowly uh, and heal, but uh, you cannot heal completely. And uh, the suffering can play a can play a positive role also, because when you look like yesterday, yesterday I was sitting on the mountain and saw young Americans sitting meditation up there. I felt so wonderful. It's completely different with the time when young Americans went there and killed and got killed. So we are able to do this today. Young Americans and young Vietnamese are sitting together producing compassion and joy. It's very beautiful. It's exactly the opposite of what we had during the 60s. And that is very healing. And the healing process continues. So the nightmare, this can still uh, be helpful for us to, to treasure, to appreciate what we are we are able to, to have today. Each moment can be a, a moment of happiness. Dear Tai, dear Sangha, my name is Jaina and I am here with my daughter and her grandbaby, her baby, my grandbaby, uh, for this retreat. And um, I am a new grandmother. And what has happened for me is something that I, I never expected, which is my heart has gotten even bigger and filled with so much love for this little baby girl and this little baby boy. I feel very, very deeply. And I feel a, a very big responsibility, a sacred responsibility for... a future to be possible for them. So, I try to do what I've learned, which is to breathe and enjoy the beauty and the joy of these babies, and of this life, and of this world. But even reading your book recently, Love Letters to Mother Earth, and I am an activist, so the research that I've done about what is predicted for life on this planet is very painful for me to live with. And part of that is because I feel quite alone. And as I move through life, I look around and I wonder if other people are feeling and thinking the same things I am because 
it feels very confusing to me that more people are not talking about the positive things we can do. And so, so I do take the actions that I need to and I'm helping preserve tigers in the wild and the good news is there are more coming back. They may, maybe, maybe they won't go extinct in the wild. And where I live in the Pacific Northwest, there are changes happening politically around uh, prevention of coal coming into the area to go to Asia to be burned. But I don't feel like there are a lot of places where I can talk about this. I don't want to be angry about it. I want to talk from my heart about it. I want to talk with others about how to make the positive changes that we can. And, I, I, and what I'm wondering is how we can do that in the Sangha because there seems even some reservation that perhaps talking about these things is too political or too social. And I feel alone in my suffering around this. Thank you. Dear Thai, dear Sangha, our friend is here on the retreat with her daughter and her grandbaby. And uh, she is the very happy grandmother of two young babies. Mm. And her heart has got bigger as a grandmother. But she is very worried for the future for her grandchildren. Um, she is an activist. She has been reading Thai's recent book, Love Letter to Mother Earth, and she has done her own research, and she knows that the prognosis does not look good for the future for her grandchildren. She is doing her best to cherish them in the present moment and to cherish life. Um, but she has um, this fear for them coming up, and she feels alone in this. Um, she feels isolated. She does not want to be angry. She would like to speak and act out of love, but she doesn't know how or where or in what way to do that. She is active in protecting wild tigers um, and other projects, and uh, she knows that in these ways she can make an impact. But in her own sangha, she also sometimes feels that there is um, not enough space to talk about these issues or to work on these issues together because they're seen perhaps as political or social. And uh, so the essence of her question is, is how to go forward. <laughs> Thank you. Mm. Sangha building is, um, is a very important uh, work. Sangha means uh, a harmonious uh, community. And the main task uh, of the Sangha is not to organize events. Uh, even events of practice, of the practice. The main purpose of the Sangha is to build brotherhood and sisterhood. Harmony. And that is why uh, the practice of uh, deep listening and loving speech is so important. We should be able to communicate with each other easily. We share our uh, views, 
we can come easily to a um, agreement, a collective insight. And we feel that uh, sitting in the Sangha, you feel nourished, you feel uh, stronger. And uh, that is a real Sangha building. Not organized. And with a Sangha like that, everything is possible. Because you feel nourished, you don't lose your hope. And we have said several times, even a Buddha cannot do much without a Sangha. So Sangha building, we need a lot of patience. And patience is a mark of true love. Uh, in Plum Village, uh, we spend a lot of time and energies building Sangha. We have enough time to sit together, to eat together, to, to drink together, to work together, to exchange uh, views and so on. Because we, we know that if we do not have enough uh, harmony and happiness, enough Sangha, it could not mean anything to organize a retreat for other people to come and practice. The Buddha spent a lot of time building his Sangha, and he was a perfect Sangha builder. It's not easy to build a Sangha, and the Buddha felt the same. But with uh, compassion, with patience, he was able to build a beautiful Sangha. When he was, when the Buddha was eight, 80, he met with the King Prasanajit for the last time. The King was also 80. And the King saw the Buddha was traveling and joined and he imitated the Buddha and then also uh, left uh, uh, politics to his uh, son and uh, to enjoy uh, visiting the country. And one day, uh, by chance, they met in the northern part of the country. And on that occasion, uh, King Prasanajit praised the Buddha and he said, Dear teacher, Every time I see the Sangha, I appreciate you anymore, uh, much more. Because, uh, because uh, as I contemplate the Sangha moving, uh, sitting, uh, doing Dhamma, Dhamma work, I see your real, your real insight, your real value. And today I would like to bow uh, to you because you have built such a beautiful Sangha. Uh, in, this, uh, in this trip, I remember, <coughs> I remember once I <coughs> went to a place with two carpenters and uh, they, are, they were your disciples. And that night uh, we were sleeping in the same room and they turn uh, their head to the direction they believe you, you were. And they turn their feet 
towards me. <coughs> and they revere, revere you more than they revere the, the king. So I know that, uh, that you are loved daily by, by members of your Sangha, Fogo Sangha. And today I would like to tell you that um, the Sangha is a jewel. And with the Sangha, you can accomplish much in the world. So King Prasinajit, as well as the Buddha, recognize that the Sangha building is the most important thing to do. With the Sangha, <clears throat> with a happy Sangha, many people can come and take refuge and profit from the collective energy of peace and happiness and uh, compassion and mindfulness. And uh, with a Sangha like that, you can nourish your grandchildren. That is the safest place uh, for your children to be. And uh, uh, if, uh, if uh, children are nourished and raised in such an environment, they will become uh, instruments of peace. And we have to believe in our children. They, our children have Buddha nature in them. And what we can do today is not to worry, but to focus our efforts on watering the seed of uh, love, compassion, uh, talent in them. And we should believe in our children, uh, investing and transmitting the best we have to our children, and not to worry about future, uh, taking good care the best care of the present moment is about everything you can do for the future. So instead of spending energy to worry about future, invest all your energies into the present and uh, uh, nourish our children and grandchildren uh, with the energy of hope, um, compassion, and insight. Dear Thai, dear Sangha, we would like to invite Jocelyn from the Shadow World film crew to come up and ask two questions to Thai. Sangha. I was at the Riverside Church in New York in 2001 when you came to give a talk shortly after September 11th. This was the same location where Dr. King came to give his speech against the Vietnam War. A position we remember with gratitude was influenced by his time with you. You spoke to your own experience of the tragedy of war, and you were among the only voices I can remember at the time who advocated for seizing the moment to work for peace. Many of us in these times now may be feeling fear 
anger, despair, when we see so many wars waged in our name. As you did with Dr. King, can you advise us how we might transform these feelings into compassion and into active peacemaking? As you know that I was in America when the September 11 took place. That day I was uh, going from Deer Park to the north of California to organize retreats and public talks and uh, loading the, the bus we hear about the event. I was uh, supposed to give a talk in Berkeley uh, four days later. And uh, we could experience the collective energy of fear and anger in America. Fear and anger. We know that the collective uh, uh, energy of compassion can be very healing, but the collective uh, energy of fear and anger can be very dangerous. It can start a war at any time. So my purpose in giving the talks was to ask Americans to practice mindful breathing in order to calm down their feelings, their emotions. That's the most important thing to do. And that is why in, uh, in the talk uh, taking place in Berkeley, 4,000 people attended. We wear our sangati, the orange color robe, and we uh, practice um, meditation on compassion and try to calm down to help people calm down. You can see the suffering on the face of the people that day. And uh, we knew that uh, after the talk, people suffer less. By you just look at their face, and you know that uh, people suffer less after uh, a guided meditation on compassion and calming down. But that is only for a few thousand people. The talk in uh, the Riverside Church uh, had the same uh, purpose. And we advise uh, our friends in America not to do anything yet, not to say anything yet. The first thing to do is to calm down and then begin to look into the situation and ask the question, why? they have done such a thing to us. Have we done anything that make them so ang angry at us, that make them um, so despair that they could uh, commit that, uh, uh, they commit such, a, uh, such an act 
I propose that uh, according to the tradition we belong to, I propose that America organize sessions of deep listening. We should invite um, many wise uh, Americans to come and help us to listen. And we invite the people in America who feel that they have, they are victims uh, of uh, of uh, of uh, social injustice and so on to come and tell us about their suffering. And we we uh, propose that uh, session uh, sessions of deep listening like that within America can be televised so that everyone can follow. That is uh, to listen to your own suffering, to our own suffering, and understand our own suffering before we want to listen to the suffering of the people on the other side. It's very faithful to our practice. You listen to your own suffering first before you, you listen to the suffering on the other side. And uh, after you have done deep listening in your own country, you may turn to the people over there and use loving speech. Dear friends over there, we have suffered a lot. We don't understand why you have done such a thing to us. Have we done anything in order to try to destroy you as a people, as a religion, as a way of life? We may have done something, or we may have said something that gives you the impression that you, we want to destroy you as a people, as a religion, as a way of life. But in fact, uh, we do not have that intention. So please tell us what we have done, what they have said, that have given you that kind of impression. We know that you must, be very, must have been very angry at us to have done such a thing to us. We would like to listen. Please tell us from your heart. Tell us about your suffering and, your, and our um, lack of uh, skillfulness in, make you, in making you uh, suffer. And that is, uh, that is what I proposed to America at that time. And uh, this is a process of uh, 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 restoring communication and reconcile. And last, uh, 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 last spring, the spring of this year, I went to Korea and I gave uh, retreats. I gave uh, retreats, we gave retreats and uh, public talks. And there was one public talk uh, in, in, in the south, attended by many people, maybe 20,000 people. And they announced to us that they, are going to, uh, they were going to, um, to organize a huge uh, ceremony of prayer for peace between the south and the north. The north uh, now has uh, nuclear weapons, 
and they are they 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 sound to be belligerent, and uh, the South is uh, fearful, and they are afraid that a war will break out very soon. So in that talk, I said that, uh, dear friends, the danger is not the nuclear weapons. The danger is the fear. If you look uh, deeply into the North, you see the amount, the huge amount of fear. When the president of the South visited uh, America, the North uh, may think that uh, there should be a scheme uh, to attack the North. So they're very scareful. They are doing their best in order to show that they are not afraid. They are ready to fight and to kill. So, so, so the belligerent uh, attitude outside and appearance shows that there is a big fear inside. And if uh, you see that fear, you are not afraid, you are not uh, uh, angry at them anymore. And you know that the best thing is to try to help removing that fear of the people in the north. But in order to do that, you have to remove the fear in you first. Because you are also afraid. And that is why a prayer for peace is not enough. Coming together and pray is not enough. You have to create, uh, you have to organize retreats for politicians, uh, school teachers, uh, uh, um, business leaders, and help them to look deeply, to calm them down, themselves down, uh, to remove their fear by understanding. And when you are free from fear, you can help the North to do the same. So, uh, so it's not by uh, uh, political maneuvering that you can, uh, you can solve the problem. It is uh, that kind of practice that uh, can remove fear and anger in us, that can make us more um, peaceful uh, and compassionate. And when you are more peaceful and compassionate, you can help the people on the other side to do the same to be a real peacemaker. And that is process we have learned from the Buddhist tradition. And as uh, uh, North Korea and South Korea, they have had Buddhism as their spiritual tradition. We believe that they can make good use of that tradition in order to practice, in order to get out of this uh, difficult uh, situation. I, and I think that the same thing should be, should be, um, should be true here in the Middle East, in Europe, in America, and so on.
Dear Thay, I'm very grateful for your teaching that has helped me over time and, and learn ways to transform uh, my mm, feeling that I'm a victim. I realize I was transmitted uh, uh, thinking and behaviors of being a victim from my Jewish and my Native American ancestors who suffered greatly. And from this practice, I've learned to uh, cultivate understanding and, and, and I believe, you know, have love in my heart for people that hurt me. But my question is perhaps uh, how you might advise that I can act and behave in a way that I do not behave as a victim. And sometimes it's just simple things. I regret that even times here at a retreat around many wonderful people, people that, that are my friends, but who I, I feel I have maybe some disconnection, it's easier for me to just walk away and not look at them. And then later I think, perhaps I'm behaving as a victim because I, I will not walk by them or say hello. And so perhaps it, if, if you please just advise me on a, a better way to not behave as a victim. The key, the key problem is how to, how to see the suffering in them. Of course, there is suffering in these people. If they are happy, they would not uh, behave like that. Behave in a, such a way that make you suffer and feel you are their victims. So look and see that they are victims of their own suffering. And so far, no one has, a, has been able to help them, to suffer less. And you may be the first person who can help them. And that is the process, looking deeply to see the suffering in them, to see that they don't know how to transform their suffering, that no one so far has helped them to transform their suffering and they continue to suffer. And you are only, uh, you, are, you, you, you only suffer with, with them. And uh, if you have that kind of insight, and then compassion in you will grow. And you behave not as a victim, but as uh, a bodhisattva. Instead of trying to run away, you want to stay and help because you know you have the capacity to help. Compassion goes uh, together with uh, happiness. Uh, scientists have found out that uh, the energy of compassion can heal your body, reduce inflammation 
and pain in your body. Not only compassion can heal the mind, but also heal the body. And uh, when you are happy, you are, you are peaceful, uh, you are more, uh, you have more energy. And uh, with uh, happiness as energy and with the compassion as the other kind of energy, you are ready to stay and to help them suffer less. And if you have had a, a, the experience of helping other people, you have the confidence that in this case you can help. And you will, will not have the, the idea of uh, running away. Thank you. It's time for us to have lunch. Ha, 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 ha.